This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you love underground music and movies, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed shirts, vinyl, CDs, and more. Go to portlanddistro.com. Plug in the discount code MikeHill666 for 15% off at portlanddistro.com. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Everything Went Black podcast. The great Eugene S. Robinson returns this week. We primarily talk about his forthcoming memoir, A Walk Across Dirty Water and Straight Into Murderer's Row. But of course, we talk about the most recent Oxbow record, Love's Holiday, and the series of videos that are coming out for each song on the record. Now, once you're done listening to this, please head over to the other horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse shows. On Monday, we have Brandon Legion's Horror Wolf 666. On Tuesday, Jackie Smith brings us into the necrosphere. Of course, Wednesday is the day that everything went black usually comes out. I know we missed a week a couple weeks ago, but we've rectified that problem. Thursday, Necro Thursday, I return with Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid for the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast. Friday, Break the Apocalypse comes, an irreverent look at current events and social commentary. Saturday is a day off, and then Sunday, Carl Hikaro brings us Soul Knocks. And that's a pretty impressive week of content. It's our war against mediocrity. If you want to support the podcast, Check out our Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You can support the show and get access to all the bonus content. For $5 a month, you can get early access to the regular stream episodes as well as bonus content. For $25, you can become a sponsor, which means I give you a custom ad read once a month for your band, your own podcast, your business, or whatever project you have that you're trying to promote. And that can be for one month or into eternity. You can also follow us on all social media channels. And be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to streaming media. I'd like to take this time to thank brand new Patreon member, Andreas. Welcome aboard. We're glad to have you. And we have a lot of fun. Another book is coming out. Yeah. Can you so, imagine? Yeah. I'm excited. Uh, yeah. I, I've only read uh, Fight. I haven't read the uh, fiction, A Long Slow Screw. But uh, I'm a fan of your writing. I uh, follow you on uh, Substack. 
and uh, read all your various uh, articles and whatnot. So this is a little bit different, though. A walk across a dirt, dirty water and straight into Murderer's Row is a memoir. So how, uh, how long ago did you start writing this? Uh, well, yeah, I, maybe two years, right? I mean, I'm, I'm a relatively, um, I, I don't labor over this stuff like, like many do. Um, Adam Parfrey had been after me for years to, to do it. And I felt uncomfortable. I felt uncomfortable with it. Um, and in the same way, I, I, at one point, a teacher in an art class I had taken asked me to be a model. And he said, sit, sit down, he said. So just sit down here, and the class is going to sketch you today. And he started analyzing my face in a way that nobody had ever analyzed my face. And I found myself getting increasingly uncomfortable with it. And, um, you know, I was 15 years old. And uh, you do what you, you people do when they feel uncomfortable in situations like that. This close scrutiny. I just started making jokes, you know. And then eventually the teacher got so annoyed that he said, you know what, get out. Get out and sit down. <laughs> and he, he, used, he used somebody else. So I was, I was rescued. And this was kind of like that. Parfrey had been, at, you know, Parfrey and I had known each other for years back when he was doing a muck press. Um, he'd had me write a couple of forwards for his books. I've been in positions to review his books. And um, he, he had been asking me for years. They don't do fiction. So that was out to do a memoir. And I just couldn't figure out how I could do one and tell the truth. <laughs> and uh, he died. And then his sister and Christina Ward picked up the baton and kept at me. And Christina actually flew out to San Francisco and said, listen, nobody cares about your sex life. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of stuff, which was my concern. There's a lot of stuff that you've done, experience that I know just from talking to Adam that people might dig down to hear. And, and I don't like, I'd like to hear, you know, and I go like, what? You know, she's like, all the weird shit you did, like, before you got into punk rock and punk rock and, you know, interview, I mean, whoever, you know, John Wayne Gacy. I, I go, yeah, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And she said, so maybe given how books are, if you cut it off at, I don't know, go birth to 27 or, or I said, yeah, that'd be about the time when I started Oxbow. She goes, yeah, okay, so go birth to the creation of Oxbow. And I go, I think that works because officially... I, I, in my mind, when I think about Oxbow, I think about that as the moment in my life where I lost my mind, yeah, right? So it, the memoir, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that happened before that, but I was still pretty kind of controlled and contemplative about it versus, you know, jumping into the waves like I did at the start of the Oxbow era. Now, let me ask you, what, what was the catalyst for you losing your mind at that point? Uh, well, you know, suicidal ideation and, uh, you know, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds completely, you know, at this remove of, of all these years, it sounds, you know, like a young man's conceit, but, it, you know, bad relationship, but it, you know, this was an extraordinarily bad relationship, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, the woman had got you know gotten married, but was having sex with me the, the the you know the night before the wedding. Probably would have had sex with me the night of the wedding, uh, and during the honeymoon, and then you know pretty soon after was had jokingly introduced the topic of possibly you know murdering her husband. And, you know, I mean, it wow. was just 
it was just, it was just, you know, I was in a, not in a frame of mind or suited to, to be able to, um, to, to handle it the best way possible. And then I had a road to Damascus moment and it was like, you know, where Saul was struck blind and changed into Paul, except for me, I, I, the phrase that kept resonating with me was quiet embrace of self. And, and, you know, prior to that, I had spent all my time, you know, becoming like, I wanted to be, you know, a better lit, weightlifter, bodybuilding, you know, I want to be better. I got a better, better, better. And sort of around this period is when I realized much like Popeye that I am as I am, you know, I am what I am. And, uh, and I said, you know, I've read biographies of historical figures who have had this moment, you know, I mean, Hitler, this is not, you know, not a great example, but, you know, Stalin, Hitler, a lot of these world leaders, Mao had incidences in their lives where clearly something, you know, twigged and they, and this could just be a creation myth that they like to sell post facto. I don't know. So I decided at that point, I said, I will follow this road unless I have some insight. Like, I don't think that they really had necessarily like Stalin unless I start to have a deleterious effect on the people I love and care about around me. So as long as my, my craziness only proves me to be a danger to me um, and not others who I love and care about, I will continue down this path. So um, that was me trying to manage up uh, <laughs> my, my, my psychopathology at that point. A couple of thoughts uh, come to mind right off the bat uh i actually have this written down in my notes but uh hitler and some of the more well-known fascist authoritarian leaders in the world's history they they seem to be not far from your thoughts based on uh you know i listen to your podcast pretty regularly yeah there's a drinking there's a drinking game <laughs> so, <laughs> where if i mention nazis you get to take the drink yeah, yeah. and we're, we're just under seven minutes into this talk we already we already mentioned <laughs> hitler and stalin so what's up what's up with that <laughs> um well you, you know if you want to look for you know repository for you know earthly examples of a word that i hesitate to use which is evil i, I think you, you'll, you'll healthily find it there you know um and especially since so I mean, there's a combination of projection, suggestion, and and people's willingness to to have others sign off on their on their horror. Um, and I think these are all apropos in smaller ways for most of us, right? Yeah. So um, I mean, in the instance where, um, you know, and, and look, if you if you read the you know, alternating biographies and comparative studies, there are a lot of similarities, right? All of these men. Hitler, Mao, Stalin, terrible relationships with their fathers, <laughs> right? Um, g g great and doting relationships or non-existent relationships with their mothers. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I'm starting, of course, naturally to see parallels because I have a horrible relationship with non-existent relationship with my father and, uh, you know, <laughs> and, understand, and understand kind of you know, the psycho monographs that that creates you know, when you move through life. And um, so, um, and also, I mean, these guys, one of the most amazing things about them all is how lazy they all were. Okay. 
I mean, they were like, you know, the great march. You know, Mao didn't march. <laughs> he right. was carried. He was carried <laughs> by people who were dying because he had so many books and so much food and the little thing that, you know, the little, whatever, the pajandrum or whatever it's called, they carried on their shoulders. Like 12 year old kids were carrying him, and you know, the kid would die in the mud and he'd say, hey, well, get somebody else. You guys got to carry me the rest of the way. I mean, these guys were all terribly lazy, and yet they accomplished a lot of really bad shit. So, um, yeah, I, I think it aligned. I think it aligned from Hamlet. Uh, it, what, 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 what would they have been a motive in cue for? For you know, he's talking about the players. So, well, um, the mo motive in cue for passion that I have. So I start to think, yeah, you know. I had the motive and cue for passion, but not the desire for fucking <laughs> decimation of humans. What could I get done? Um, in other words, the meditation is on, 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 again, a word I don't like to use because of his moral framing, but evil, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. There, well, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that sort of topic because of just when you get a cross section of people that have a similar experience, how they react to that is always a very interesting thing to me. Like you bring, you know, you bring yeah. up these fascist, you know, non-existent relationship with their father, you know, that kind of thing. Yep. And the laziness aspect and then how choices are made and things happen in their lives and you get completely different outcomes depending on the character of the person. Right, right. It's, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, you know, there, there are books out there. I'm not mining anything that's not easily available to, um, everybody but it's it's always yeah it's kind of amusingly confusing to me that they get imbued with all this kind of uh, uh super ego attribute stuff like oh they were these masterful controlling driving nations if i <laughs> these guys were they were like kind of fuck ups non-parial and what they managed to do was just hold the door open through which people could rush <laughs> okay i got you gotta rush right through it Really, yeah. that door, that door of anti-Semitism, we didn't, we, we hadn't discovered it before and you introduced us to it. Come on, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no. Now, you know, I'm a, I'm a sensitive sort of guy. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you, you discussed that issue that sort of propelled you into that era of madness in your life around the formation of Ox, Oxbow. So is that covered in the, in the, in the uh, memoir or is it start, start and stop right before that? Era oh no, no, no! I mean, it's it <laughs> it's necessary to. Um, I talk about it's not like I get up to the creation of Oxbow. It's no, there's no fucking cliffhanger. <laughs> right. Okay, that's <laughs> what I was getting at. Because like, yeah. No, no. If you if you if you have understood, if you have understood, if you if you have an appreciation for the Oxbow discography, you'll get to the end of the book and you go, I got it. <laughs> you know i understand now i figured this out okay so yeah no it's i um yeah because i i'm really looking forward to reading the book i uh pre-ordered it so uh should be showing up oh good weeks. thank you man yeah thank no, you. of course I think, you know the interesting thing was i mean there was you know i remember reading this thing about kafka and about how he and his writers group people kept thinking about him as this kind of dour sour type character and <laughs> And they said, no, no, he was had a great sense of humor. He was always laughing. So it was great imagining Kafka like going through these heavy books, just kind of laughing his ass off. But when a long, slow screw, which, you know, is fiction, but it was largely drawn from 
you know, when I was working out in, in at the Olympia in Ridgewood, and there were a lot of guys who I discovered later were connected. <laughs> I had to figure it out that they were connected at the time, you know, but, um, um, so I said, well, I, I can't write a, you know, I'm not going to snitch them out. It's a, let's, let's create a work of fiction and put it in the fiction. And I kind of realized that, um, I, you know, I don't know. I forgot where I was going with that. Sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's okay. Yeah. Now, but the, uh, not, not to make it about me, but I, I, uh, I've been working on some fiction as well. And I find that the fiction comes a lot easier when it actually is kind of autobiographical and then you can have license to expand on that and add things and yeah. tell, tell a true story in a completely false way, but it actually resonates more true than if you actually told the truth sometimes, you know? Well, and, and that, and that's the thing which you have, which you have to be careful about, you know, there's a, a woman who I know who I, I used to mess around with and she read a long, slow screw my novel and she had, sent me a super angry email because somehow what she read when she read, which is a book that's essentially a crime saga, what she got is that I was talking about our relationship. Right. And it was so crazy. I said, hey, listen, this is when I wrote the book. When did I meet you? <laughs> yeah. And she's like, oh, oh, okay. Okay, sorry. I was drinking last night. I was like, ah, okay, whatever. So, oh, oh no, the, the, the point was uh, in writing the book. So it took me a couple of years to write the book, and uh, and there were large sections of it that are, though heavy though they might be, I did find myself kind of, you know, I mean, my whole oeuvre has always been had this dark kind of comedic thing to it. So there are darkly amusing things in it, whether or not it's me, you know, witnessing a rape or... As, as happened or, you know, being held up at gunpoint or be, whatever, whatever I'm talking about is usually like the fact that I've survived it should undergird it so that you have to have a life understanding of it as this is just formative stuff, man. This is just stuff that happens to people on their way to being older people, you know? So, but I did, I did sit and write and I was very concerned about, and that's where I was going with it. I was very concerned about this. How nice do I want to be? <laughs> right. I mean, there's a great line from uh, Do the Right Thing where uh, Edson says to Turo, he goes, how come everything he tells you to do, you tell me to do? <laughs> right? So I start to think, like, you know, if we share a confidence, at what point do, you know, at what point does that become fodder for the memoir? Or am I, am I being an asshole? Or, so there were a couple, like, kind of forks in the road where I came to, and I was like, you know what? This is probably confidential. And then I decided, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. <laughs> you know, you if you talk to a writer, you know, you run the risk of shit happening. So just whatever. I'm sorry. What are you going to do? Beat me up? You're not going to be my friend anymore? I'm, you know, I'm out here trying to work a hustle. So I, you know, insofar as possible, if I thought it was going to really damage somebody, I didn't use their name. Um, so... Now, one of the things that I'm, I'm really excited about is, like, I, I'm not really one of these um, guys who gets it really stoked on uh, rock rock and roll, like, books, you know. But yeah. So you're not just a guy in a band, you know. We're not going to read about, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of musical stuff in there, but there's also a lot of other kind of things in the book, which I'm hoping you get into. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you said it starts from birth, 
So I'm assuming it's going to you know, obviously covering the the days you you know you lived in Brooklyn and yeah you know maybe some early New York hardcore stuff. Yeah. Do, do you also talk about you know fighting and you know working out and uh, you know bodybuilding yeah. and all that stuff? Okay. Oh yeah. 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 You know what's weird about about writing the book is that, um, and this is a testament probably to how good how good the editors are. Um, you know, you finish it and it's pretty long. And then you read it, you go, that's pretty good. I, I said, I thought I put that thing in here about me pulling the gun on the guy. I don't remember. I don't remember whether they took it out or I just didn't put it in. There's a, there's a, a few occasions where there's stuff like that. Um, but what's there flows. So I'm assuming if I did put it in and they took it out, it still flows. If I, if I didn't put it in, I don't need to put it in because it flows. Um, and if I didn't put it in and I remembered it, do I think it should go in or do I think it should go in? Was I doing some kind of self-protection thing for not putting in, which is cheesy. And that means I should put it in. So I was like, ah, okay. Me pulling the gun on the guy, uh, that actually happened after the creation of Oxbow. So technically I don't have to put that in the book. <laughs> so I realized, ah, yeah, that, I didn't put that in. I should put that in. Cause I don't want to write a, a book that makes me seem like a great guy. Right. That's not, yeah, that's not, it's not, I'm not, it's not PR that I'm doing. It's, I'm trying to tell the truth about stuff. So it was just a constant process of trying to, trying to remember, you know, to remember, you know, to remember the story as it stood. Um, and at the same, at the same time to, to, at the same time to, I mean, for me to piece it together in a way that makes sense to me as well, having lived it, right? Yeah. You know, you've been living in California for a large portion of your life, right, at this point? More than I was in New York at this point, right? But you still consider yourself a New Yorker, though. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've never, I've never, um, I've never made my peace with California. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've never made my peace really with California. And I'm indeed next year leaving California. And, um, and I think when people ask me, where are you from? Where are you from? My attitude and always what I reply with is you're from where you went to high school. Um, Okay. Okay. And, uh, and you know, there's some guys I know usually military kids who have gone, you know, a friend of mine, uh, he's a quantum mechanics professor in, 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 uh, France. Now he started his high school in Hawaii. His father was a CB Navy guy. And then he ended his high school. So two years in Hawaii and then two years in Virginia. <laughs> and you can't get further apart. So where is he from? Wow, man, that, now that cat is a citizen of the universe, right? Yeah. Um, but me, I, you know, all my schooling was in New York. I, did, I ventured out of New York not at all for, until I was 18. Because so. I, I actually knew of you before I actually met you in person. And when I first started listening to Oxbow, I just assumed you guys were like a New York band, honestly. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Well, you can, you can hear it in my voice, you yeah. know? I mean, that's uh, one thing, one thing that struck me about, um, about Rollins. And uh, I talk about him in the book because yeah, I, I, you know, his, I met him, his first show with Black Flag in San Francisco was when I met him. And we have uh, friends in common. And um, when they did damage with Black Flag, you could listen to it. And I was like, this is the first time I've heard hardcore with a, with an East Coast accent. 
And it was like, oh, man, so I really am in the right place because clearly, you know, like, I, you know, punk rock is one thing, but in terms of hardcore, you know, the Mecco at that time was fucking, despite the bad range, was the West Coast, right? Right, yeah. You talk about original hardcore, the names that come up, hats, you know, hat, nod of the head to uh, Penelope Spears, were all the bands that were in the decline, right? Yeah. And not a single, not a single one of those bands was, you know, east of the Rockies. So, um, so it was like, yeah, it was weird. It's like, oh, yeah. And then, of course, of course, it was East Coast hardcore. But yeah, so I, I, my identification is uh, in any given situation, if you say, hmm, is Eugene going to respond like a New Yorker or is he going to respond like a Californian? You would never lose a bet if you say, uh, he's going to respond like a New Yorker, right? And then if you want to get granular about it, you could say, is he going to respond like a guy from Brooklyn or is he going to respond like a guy from San Francisco? And you would not lose money by guessing correctly that I'm going to respond to something like, uh, like, a, like a guy from Brooklyn. So, Yeah, because I remember when I first started listening to Oxbow, it was like, I just either I figured you guys were from like uh, one of those like Manhattan, like Lower East Side, you know, cop shoot cop, unsane like, yeah. world, or you were from Chicago or something like that. I would have never picked the West Coast. Yeah, that's that, it's happened a lot. I mean, you still read a lot of a lot of reviews where people misidentify as like you know, oh, these guys from. Chicago, New York, Chicago, usually Chicago, New York, Chicago, New York, Chicago, New York. But yeah, I don't, I mean, that's the whole thing about why Whipping Boy became emotionally not satisfying, you know, because of the whole West Coast influence, which I don't, like, I think it would be, you know, I'm not, don't really, um, I don't want to shake anybody's hustle, but I don't know, it would be sort of nightmarish for me now to be like Jello Biafra. Like, or or maybe maybe it's like David Letterman once said about you know the the recently departed Pee Wee Herman after he got busted jerking off in the theater. He said, "Hey, well at least you don't have to wear the gray suit now." (laughs) (laughs) I mean, my whole thing has been you know not wanting to get caught up and having to wear the gray suit. Um, Maybe Biafra doesn't have to do that. Maybe he really cares about all that stuff that he's talking about. But um, you know, I like evolution, so. There's a there's a blurb about the uh, the memoir which uh, one one sentence of it really stuck out to me. I'm, I'm going to read it to you. And, uh, okay. <laughs> he knows exactly who he is and how he is perceived by the white people and white culture that surrounds him. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I read that and I fucking laughed. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you also knew instinctively that I didn't write that. I know exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You know what, man? If the people who are involved in selling the book have a fucking take, whatever. You know, I, I, I'm excited that they show up to their desk and they help me sell the book. Um, and because, of course, in the first ten pages, I debunk all that shit immediately. You know. No. Um, I don't, this is not, I'm not your field guide, you know, this is not, that's not what's happening. So, um, yeah, I thought that, I thought that, I thought that was interesting, but you know what? It's their business to sell books. If they think that's going to sell, who am I, you know? Yeah. Cause I, I never picked up on that kind of, uh, you know, vibe, you know what I mean? No, like, yeah. name a song, name a, name a song where 
I mean, anything, anything, anything that I've produced since 1980 or even before, name one thing, you know, so. So working with uh, Feral House, that that's, I, I have like nothing but respect for that, that publishing company. I, I've been a fan of, you know, Amok and Apocalypse Culture and like, yeah. Yeah, the the process church books they did, you know, yep. there's there's like uh well the Gates of Janus, that Ian Brady, Myra Henley thing. Yeah. Um, yep. you know, that that that's a real accomplishment, in my opinion, to have a company like that release something like that's so personal, you know? Yeah. Well, I I've had, you know, I mean, Harper Collins did the fight book. Um the novel, uh, A Long Slow Screw Now, has made it into it's French, Italian, and English, but a smaller company, Robotic Boot, which had been an offshoot of Hydra Head, which they now, I guess, they reverted, the English version, the rights have reverted to me. Um, and um, I, 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 you know, I'm enjoying working with Farrell. I've, like I said, I've, like you said, I, I've read them for years as well, and it feels it feels nice to me to be um, to be to be part of the family. You know, it feels also a little bit weird to me to be like like I, I check out what they've done, and I think they've made so many great right moves. And then I, you know, I was just the other night I saw a veil, and I was like, man, these guys used to be the shit. What happened? Like, how did they end up? I may, is it is it misreading their their appeal or why I yeah I haven't figured out why one was sustainable and one wasn't. So, I mean not not to uh, you know denigrate Avail, but I feel like there comes a point in every band's career where uh, enough is enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And that kind of leads in nicely to uh, the brand new Oxbow record. And um, I got to say, man, I have ordered the vinyl. Uh, I have the digital copy of it. But this late in your career to deliver, to, uh, deliver a record like this, I think it's probably the, one of the strongest records you guys have done, honestly. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, I mean, the, the calculations, and this, these words have been kind of coming up in some of the reviews. Um, and I could see people are thinking like, in reviewing it, I did they actually do this? <laughs> like, like how? What the fuck? How didn't they? And I mean, if you think of it, you know, when Whipping Boy went from the sound of no hands clapping to Muru Muru, that was like jumping off a fucking cliff, right? The, nobody who listened to the sound of no hands clapping was in any way, shape, or form prepared for Muru Muru. But with Oxbow, we spent eight records getting here. So you should not be, nobody, like Mr. Marcus once said about one of his crying co-stars on a porn set, he said that, you know, uh, they knew what the job was when they took it, you know, Um, and that's kind of where, with the Oxbow thing, you knew what the job was when you took it, so. Like, I wouldn't say I'm surprised, but uh, it's, uh, I mean, you know, I'm I'm familiar with the entire catalog, I've seen you guys play a bunch of times, and, uh, you know. Um, what surprises me though, is the restraint on the record. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's the thing that gets me is like, I listened through the whole album several times and I'm like, there's a lot of, uh, discipline and restraint in the songwriting. 
Do you know yeah. what I mean? I don't know if that makes yeah. any sense. Yeah, well, the funny thing is, you and my wife said something that I thought was pretty compelling after we heard it for the first time. She goes, for the first time, to me, you sound like the Eugene I live with. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And and she she didn't she didn't qualify that didn't explain it so that, that could be good or bad I'm not quite sure I would out you know I should have asked her for clarification but I was still mulling still am mulling over what what it is that she was talking about so um, but yeah it was again maybe it was you know being in the midst of writing the memoir but my desire was to. You know, I've heard other writers talk about this. Is it to do one true thing, you know, to make it as direct and as honest of an appeal as possible? So your only critical avenue at that point is to say, I don't like it. If you don't like it, I understand that. But you can't say it failed in its objective (laughs) because its objective was never to get you to like it. it. It was to document something that was real, you know, so... Yeah, you know, it's um, it's when you're talking about real and true and stuff like that. I I always go back to uh, the Lost Highway, the David Lynch film. Yeah, yeah. Where um, I forgot the character's name, but the the Bill Pullman character, where he's like, uh, he likes to remember things in his own way. Yeah. And ever since I saw that movie back in the '90s, and that's right around the time when I started writing lyrics and things. Yeah, yeah. That has always been my approach to writing has been like not necessarily to capture the truth but to tell the truth in a way that is completely filtered through the the lens that i see it in you know what i mean yep yeah and and i felt like that's that's always been like something i've always thought about with oxbow and your lyric writing and that kind of thing too well you know that's that's it's it's it was easier to do with uh oxbow and especially in this instance, because the music dictated where I was going to go. I mean, I was listening to the music as I wrote the lyrics, right? Right. Uh, but the, the perfect storm of me being involved in in writing a memoir at the same time, that was that was that was heavy because what was happening with the memoir, and that is making decisions page by page on, you know, honest. It's like the platonic triad, you know. I got to make this is I can't fuck this up kind of transferred to 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 the lyrics. So, um, you know, the music and Nico, when he's talked about the music, talks about it, his impetus being a lot of family stuff, you know, right. Death of death of the mother, death of the father, love for his kids. You know, for to me, the entire lyrical expanse is about romantic love. So, you know, a little bit different for me. Um, but this was, you know, I went through a divorce during the creation of this record. And so a lot of these things are things I've been thinking about. And much like with the Substack, you know, I'm really writing about stuff I've been obsessed with the entire prior week. So, you know, um, in lyrically or in terms of the memoir, that this has been the obsession. Like one, can you see things clearly? And once having seen them clearly, can you clearly describe them? And that's the challenge, right? Yeah, that's, you know, I was thinking about the memoir and the making of this record and how it really is kind of a unique point in which to to have these two things come out almost side by side, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, they push, they push back the pub date on, on uh, for reasons that have nothing to do with me. Uh, printing now, printing books is like printing fucking vinyl. 
where if you, you you don't hit your date, then you you have to you know you get in the queue and you gotta get in the back of the line or some shit like that. So the pub the pub date is now October twelfth. Uh, so October twelfth. Okay. Now let me. Which, uh, is, let... which, which is fine by me. I, you know, whatever. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, I, I, if I'd known I had the time, I would have tried to get that picture from <laughs> from Gilman. But whatever. <laughs> Are you going to do any sort of uh, speaking dates as uh, promotion for this? Like, you know, reading constant. passages? Yeah. Constant. Yeah. I mean, if they're typically what we're going for is if Oxbow is playing in town that night and there's a bookstore in town during the day that wants to do this, then um, then you know, both Eric and Vincent overseas are, are, are seeking these out. You know, it's easier than having me come back. Um, and, uh, like Humphrey Bogart says, you know, I'm glad to talk. (laughs) Now I haven't looked at your uh, schedule, but what, what do you guys have, uh, lined up for like the coming months? We have 16, 16 days in, uh, September overseas, uh, starting with Glasgow ending in Denmark. And then we have, uh, three back East, um, Portland, Maine, Philly, and New York. And then we have three out West. And I mean, we, you know, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday deal is what we do so we can all stay employed. Those of us who are employed uh, at the end of July, I'm officially unemployed. So my objective at this point is to fill up my time with book or record shit that I couldn't do if I had a job and make that shit pay, you know? So if people are contacting me with this idea, oh, uh, Usually we'll be glad to do this for three. <laughs> Get that shit out of your head. Something. Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. You gotta have to pay me something. So. Wow. Okay. What? Uh, man, I gotta. I gotta definitely catch up with you guys at the uh, the you know the New York show for sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And uh, you know, cause I, it'd be cool to to see the band perform all these songs live. You know. Well, and that's and that's the thing, you know. We got to make changes because we can't. We're not traveling with the, the choir, right? Yeah, so. yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you about uh, the podcast and the uh, the Substack and all this sort of stuff. And, ha- and how do you find the this Substack platform? Like, how, you know, how has that been working out for you so far? I, I really like it. I really like it. You know, I mean, I got a touch of the you know OCD, right? So it's it's built into the system now like i'll you know i know where i'm going to be sunday i know what has to happen you know um uh, and and but i'm i'm obsessed with the same sort of things right so i got to i got to parse that out like i'm i'm super dialed into this whole trump indictment thing but again you know i don't but from a different point of view i'm more amused at this point you know I mean, this is the first common man thing he's ever had to do, really. You know, it's like rich guys get speeding tickets, too. But, you know, rich guys don't have to go to the fucking class, the speeding class, so you can keep your insurance low and spend eight hours with a bunch of other dumbasses. They don't have to do that. Right. So just to see him in court, it's like a real fucking glorious, you know, this is how the other half lives. But, (laughs) you know, so. Um, it's the Substack thing is great. They, they they pay me no problem. I know that initially they had some problems about who was on the platform and all that kind of social media shit. I'm not dialed into that. I just you know I want something easy so that people initially could get the stuff for Ozzy that Ozzy wasn't going to publish. You know so right. 
Do you work with an editor uh, to look over any of the material that you publish? You know what? One, so, uh, friends of mine who had, had worked with me in other publications who were really into the Substack were like, hey, you know, if you get it to me before uh, you publish it, um, I, I will, I'll be glad to edit it for you. And, you know, trying to build somebody else into the workflow was just um, kind of a hassle for me. And, and the jungle, the jungle, the jungle takes care of that. <laughs> so people typically write me and say, uh, if it's a typo and they caught it, they'll tell me. And if it's a fucking shitty argument that I've made somehow, they'll also tell me that. So I, I can make mid course corrections or, you know, correct in a, in a, in a later one, you know, or address their critique in a later one in some way. So, um, you know, I, everybody, they say everybody needs an editor. But, uh, you know, I, the, the Substack format seems to dictate that if, if what you expect when you read The Atlantic is what you're expecting when you read my Substack, you're probably expecting the wrong stuff. All right. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, um... that, that, that being said, you know, if I'm using facts and figures, you know, I'm trying to apply some journalistic rigor to, you know, the facts and figures. So. Oh, speaking of journalism, it's funny. Uh, you're Eugene S. Robinson. Yes. Not to be confused with Eugene Robinson, who I've seen on MSNBC. Eugene H. Robinson. H. Robinson. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, when they did the fight book, they said, you know, there's the other Eugene. You want to, you know, I uh, fuck that guy. I'm gonna do and then I realized, you know, dude's about 10 years older than me, and it's got to be an extreme drag for him. <laughs> I mean... Do you know how often, like, I've gotten these checks before, you know? It's oh, really? Just, yeah, <laughs> we, we, we both have done NPR, and uh, and then when I was editor-in-chief of Code Magazine, I, I tr really tried to get him in, because I thought it would be hilarious to do a, a piece called Eugene on Eugene, but, that, you know, I, from his point of view, I could hear him saying, like, man, I fucking won a Pulitzer. Why are people asking me if I've written about Kitten Natividad, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> so i mean that, that we write about such different things i started to have a, a, a lot of sympathy for him so i'm okay using my middle initial and um and realistically speaking he seems like a nice guy i mean i've gotten his checks back to him and you know and he's made comments back and forth so you know it's he, he's fine he seems he, he's doing okay with it yeah i think i had i think it was msnbc or something like that i i had the youtube channel on and um yeah, going through some news and I was doing something else, uh, you know, while I had the news feed going on and then I heard the name Eugene Robinson come up and I was like, hold on a second. Let me, you know, Eugene Robinson on MSNBC. Yeah. yeah. I was like, and then I'm like, then this other guy shows up. Yeah. Another, another, you know, African-American gentleman. And I was like, that's not Eugene Robinson that I know. And then that's when it kind of well, got into the whole exploration who the other Eugene Robinson was. It's interesting. Well, there's also the football player, but, you know, I, I know everybody knows I'm not playing football. So, yeah, yeah no. Uh, and there's also the gay bishop, you know, but he, he does a thing that I hate. He, he has people call him Gene, and I will never do this. So, um, yeah, there, 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 there are a lot of us out there, a lot of us out there, but uh, – yeah, me and the writer, it's weird just to be in the same field, kind of, you know, it's weird. Now, the Show Stomper podcast, uh, as you become more and more cynical, it appears with the UFC, okay? 
Do you feel that that show is going to evolve into something else? Well, it already has. I mean, I, I you know, I've talked about it where I was like, I'm going to fucking leave. Yeah. And like, I, I mean, MMA is not going to fucking maintain any interest for me in a serious way for long based on the, the shittiness of the people involved. Um, however, I go, you know what? It costs me nothing to, to, to stay and be a thorn in their side. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm having no effect here. Guess what? <laughs> this is this is breaking news. I, I just found this out yesterday. Tom Drabassi, VP of Communications at the UFSI, has requested a review copy of my memoir. Wow. Damn. <laughs> so I'm thinking I'm just doing radio and I'm out in the wilderness and nobody's paying attention. Apparently not so, you know. Um, and I said, yeah, go ahead, send it to them. That's weird. They could afford it, I guess. But, you know, why would they want that? Why would they want that? So it's already, you know, I mean, I've spent whole shows not talking about fighting at all. However, if there's a fight Saturday and I'm watching it, now that I'm not doing care, don't care, I don't have to watch it. So I'm choosing to watch it. Then it, it serves as a nice kind of, you know, cognate for me a lot of times to talk about stuff well beyond the fight field. There was definitely a law of diminishing returns when it comes to the frequency of these of these cards. You know what I mean? Yeah. There, there was like, yeah. I, I got to be honest with you, man. I, I used to watch every weekend and uh, yep. I missed, I, I think I missed like the last five events maybe including the uh the last one the last pay-per-view with jan blahovich uh, and um that and, was uh, all right that i didn't i didn't regret actually paying for that that was all right well I, i've been a fan of uh alex Pereira since he was in glory like i've always oh, that's been, right yeah, yeah, yeah i've been, been a huge fan of his man i yeah. i love love that guy and uh yeah it's yeah. interesting to see how he's going to do up at 205 but i i've been watching one one has been really yeah. grabbing me, man, because of all, all the Muay Thai and kickboxing they have in it. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting. What what they lack, though, is, um, I mean, you know, and this is where they should pay him the money, and it was good that they paid him the money, and he probably should be paid a lot more. But this is, they lack a John Jones, you know. So, I mean, there was never a point at which I watched John Jones and didn't, what is that thing that friend of mine likes to say? You ever look at a cow and, and he says, you ever look at a cow and not know that you're looking at a cow? Like, he's like, you always know when you look at a cow that it's a cow you're looking at. It's like with John, John Jones, it was like, yeah, man, this is greatness. There was never a moment where I saw him fight where I didn't think I am witnessing greatness. And uh, you don't get that with every fighter. Also, the... Uh right wing slant to the entire operation is really starting yeah, to turn me man. off too you know yeah that sucks so bad but we talked about that on uh if the shoes fit on uh this past tuesday and this is strategic on their part and it's a calculation that they're comfortable making and they make it with uh uh ari emmanuel's at his direction in all likelihood and keep in mind ari emmanuel is rom's brother rom who is you know big clinton guy so this is part of a, a plan to, you know, drive up shareholder value. And they have correctly figured out that that's where their success lies. So does it, does it alienate people like you and me? Yep. I, but, you know, I can watch with the sound off, you know. Um, but once John Jones goes, like I said on the show, there are about five fighters who are keeping me there. And once they go, I'm probably gone, you know. Yeah, I feel like Jones is like the last 
of the truly great fighters, you know what I mean, that, that yeah. I really am interested in. But the funny thing about the UFC, and I don't know if you ever experienced this, but it's like, you know, like when you go to like a show, say, for example, uh, like a Death in June show or something like that, uh -huh. you know, and uh -huh. you're, you're in there, you know, you got your girlfriend with you or whatever, and you're some friends. And then you start seeing guys show up that you've never seen at any other shows before. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like some some of the guys are older, you know, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, you haven't really seen them around too much. And then yeah. at some point, Douglas P is doing a two Klaus Barbie, you know, that song by uh, yep. Seth and June. And then the, the, the Nazi salute starts coming out. Yeah. That's how I feel like when I'm watching the UFC these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. I, 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 it's the same, the one that you didn't watch, the Blavitz uh, fight, this piece that I, I watched. And the camera scanned through the audience at one point, and I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. There are people who have actually spent serious money here to buy BMF belts. Yeah. Like money they probably don't have. In addition to seats, they probably couldn't afford, you know. And they're going to put that on the wall at their house or wear it around. <laughs> I felt nothing but sorrow for them, you know, and it seemed to it seemed to me predatory. What the UFC is doing seemed to me to be completely predatory. Like, like you're exploiting people who have problems, you know. But yeah, you know, and and I don't want to be like one of those guys like that with music too, where it's like, oh, yeah. you know, things things were better back in like '85 or something. You yeah, know? you know, it's hard. You, look, look, you know, there was a period where we were playing with a lot of Japanese bands. And the same sensation that, that you were getting, like, or, or alternatively having gone seen somebody like Melt Banana, where there's a kind of a clatch of guys that would be standing by Yuka's side of the stage. And I just got the feeling like, you know, these guys are not here for the music. <laughs> you know what I mean? They, this is something else happening, you know, whatever. I don't want to shake anybody's hustle. You take your manga fetish, whatever. <laughs> okay, okay. You 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 love Melt Banana, really? Nah, you're just into fucking tiny Asian women. I got you. <laughs> Whatever, man. Yeah. Do your do your creepy dude thing. I'm just here to see the show, you know, not to judge. So, uh, just real quick about the record again. So, I've seen three videos so far. Okay. Uh there there are four. There are four that are out right yeah. now. Okay, so yes. I've seen Icy White and Crystalline. 1,000 Hours and Lovely Merc, okay? Uh, now, so you're missing, you're missing Dead Ahead. Dead Ahead. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll have to watch that one. Mm. The plan is to have a music video for every song on the record. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. I have seen, and I'm not sure if you produced any of these videos that I've mentioned, but you have plans or have worked with Zev Deans. Is that true? Say it again. Zev Deans has he produced? Yeah, 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 yeah. He did Lovely Merc. Ah, excellent. Yeah, he's he's excellent. He's a he's a good friend of mine. He's an excellent. Oh, person. good. Yeah, I, I stayed at his house on the way to shooting there. He seems like a good guy. Yeah. So, uh, what's the connection with the with that medium as far as like videos go? Because I it's fascinating when there's like a um, you know, sort of a representation of the song. In yeah, like a pictorial sense. Like, what? How involved are you with that? Or you just hand the song nah, off to somebody? We sent them the lyrics, and um, and gave them the song title. Other song titles on the record. I actually said all the lyrics, 
all song titles, the name of the record, and then um, we we assigned songs to different directors, and then the directors had to essentially give us a, a, a one page take on it, and um, we 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 didn't reject much. Um, I think there was one scene where the guy had cut in for some reason. I don't know if you remember that Bing Crosby Christmas special. Yeah. Uh, they cut in the, the abominable snowman. I go, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> I was like, I, and then I remember when, when Zev was filming uh, the lovely Merc, he had a, actually an Olympic guy, fencing coach who was there. Uh, he was also the, the drone operator. And he was like, talking about the death scene and they wanted to have me fall and he goes yeah no if eugene falls like this it'll be really funny and i just go hey, whoa, hey, whoa. Uh, there is nothing funny about this fucking record <laughs> there's not a funny song on it there's not a funny lyric there's not a funny feeling there is nothing funny there's nothing there's our worldview that's not fun and this was like auschwitz there's no fun here you know <laughs> and uh well yeah, that's that's an unfair comparison but you know what i mean um and and so they all the one that's most amazing to me is the last one for the last song for gunnel and it's anna paula martin this uh, italian filmmaker who's made all of the the bunuel videos most of the bunuel videos and um she just fucking she got the the essence of the song it's it's crazy you know um yeah i it, it, it really worked wonderfully. And it came out of, you know, my kids never saying to me, hey, Daddy, I want you to hear this new song. They would always say, hey, hey I want you to see this new song. Right? So the, many more people have watched these videos than will ever own any Oxford work. So, you know, it's Trojan horse, call it what you would, but that's it seems to be working. Yeah, videos is definitely the thing. Because I remember um, there's a fairly well-known guy that, appeared on one of our records that uh, accused me of exploiting him at one point Ugh. that I've had I've had to end my friendship with him over this but yeah. he was making a big deal about uh the YouTube world and videos and yeah. um and I was like yeah that's uh that's actually a really good point that that really is the way people are reached these days like that's a whole other thing that I never really considered yeah yeah I mean so again if it's a calling card uh whatever and it allows I mean, to a certain degree, you know, I've kind of processed how it sounds shitty when, when I'm about to say, but how fucking stupid people are. <laughs> they really need, they, you know, I just assumed that there would be a certain level of willingness to, to fathom the depths. And then, and then I'm like, okay, I, okay, I got you. I got you. you uh, I don't mind handing stuff to you. <laughs> okay. So the video, the video is a way to give you a, a, a you know, a, a guide rail into what the fuck it is we're talking about since clearly people weren't getting it before you're actually doing some acting in there too yeah bad acting <laughs> i mean straight off my success in leonard part six with bill cosby <laughs> <laughs> and my beer commercial with gus van said i turned into a, a bravura actor yeah yeah no i, I uh, acting i am yeah, acting i'm acting like i got stabbed when in actual fact i did sort of get stabbed <laughs> So how's uh, how's training going? Everything going okay? Training's going great. Uh, I tell you, man, I'm gonna give you a testimonial. I never thought I would do it. Like after I got the heel done, 
you know, uh, my heel is great. I'm running again, uh, but I'm walking. If you see me on the street, I'm ambling. I'm not walking. And in anticipation of the, the this European these shows, well, I train with a guy who's doesn't has got a CrossFit studio. He goes, look, just come by, just come by. He he gave he got me doing deadlifts. Oh, I did okay. two sessions, which I do anyway, right? Yeah. But he he does them differently. Two sessions, my fucking hips don't hurt. I'm I'm not I'm no longer ambling. I'm walking. It's mind blowing. It's it's like it's so I don't want to be like a fucking culty, but it was fucking. I've been to physical therapy. Nothing helped. The doctor gave pills. Nothing helped. The uh, only thing I haven't done is acupuncture. I've been using the therabands. The shit's not helping. Nothing's helping. Two sessions with these fucking deadlifts, and now I'm I'm walking like I used to. It's great. I mean, without giving away any of the secrets, like what's uh, so different about it? Like, you know, they like Romanian deadlifts, like low weight, high reps. Like, what's no? The he used he used the word he used, uh, and I, I should ask him. It was Cuban in the word. <laughs> it's not the huh. Cuban. Um, so you know, you're thrusting your ass out, and you know, you're flattening your back, and the onus, the pull is on your hands. So he goes, yeah, you you this is. You know, it's not bodybuilding, powerlifting, deadlift that I'm that I'm used to. He goes, you're, you're, you 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 got to you know activate your butt to get it in there. Oh yeah, okay, I think I know what you're talking about. It's, so it's almost like doing like a kettlebell swing or something, right? Yes, 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 yes. exactly right, exactly right. Actually, um, uh, our mutual friend uh, Gavin Van Vlack, I think, coached me on that one time several years ago about how to nice. do that type of deadlift. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. So I, I'm, I'm ha- like getting in and out of a car. That that motion when you're driving, you stay open the door, you you know swing one leg in. And sw- that was murdered for me. I mean, we're talking a week and a half ago. That was murdered. Still, I would have to like, put my ass on the seat and kind of lift my legs in. You know, so no more. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm getting up there in years. Um, yeah. I recently injured myself. Uh, just by walking off the mat, actually, about a month ago. I, yeah, I, man. <laughs> yep. This shit is not, you know, I tra- I'm tra- seven days a week now, so still. And uh, I, I'm I'm very delicate about stuff, you know, stepping off the, in the shower afterward. I'm like, nah, take it easy. I don't want to die in here, you know. <laughs> So uh, what's uh, let's let's take some time now and give all the plugs like where people can yeah, follow I got, you. I, I, I got five minutes, man. I got a hard stop. Yep. So. Yep. Okay. So Go where ahead. where do you want to uh, where can people find all this stuff? Like where can they follow uh, you for the podcast, buy the record, like all that kind of stuff. The Substack is look what you made me do. Uh, so you go to substack.com and then type in look what you made me do. I don't know. Or just type it in Google to find it. Um, you can read it for free if you choose, or you could subscribe for, you know, a little, a little bit of change here and there. Um, the, the, so also on the Substack is a UJNS Robinson show stomper. Yeah. But it's, it, I would consider that to be more of a sports show, even though I don't really talk about sports the entire time. And, um, uh, Instagram is Mr. Uh, Oh, shit, Mr. Sleep Three, I think it is on Instagram and uh, you know, old standby Facebook. Uh, you can you can you can find me. Awesome. Well, Eugene, thank you very much, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll see you soon when you come out to New York. I'll definitely. Ah, uh, that's show. gonna be a blast, man. We, we gotta get something to eat. Hell yeah! All right, dude. Yeah, Have a good go. day. Dude. All right, Mike. Take Thanks. Bye bye. Bye bye.